Well, yeah, this week I come down with the allergies or whatever it is. I'm not sure I've got, but it just feels like something's draining all the time. If you know I, mean. I don't want to get too descriptive, but it, nonetheless. But it's uh, I had to back out of singing with her. And besides that, she didn't really want me to sing with her. So, If you will, get your Bibles and turn to Revelations chapter 3. Your information. We're still in the study of book of study of Revelations on Sunday nights, and we we've got about I believe about five more weeks to go on it. And so you're more than welcome to come and join us. We have a good time. We have refreshments. Just a just a relaxed setting back in the fellowship halls where we meet, just to make it more relaxed. And so come join us on Sunday night at six o'clock, and just have a good time. And like I say, we're almost finished with it, but there's still a lot of good things to go. And you know, the book of Revelations is one of those books that you can always expect somebody to disagree with. No matter what you do, somebody's going to disagree. But that's that's the good thing about it. And so we've got to hear different people bring their ideals about what this means and so forth. And so that's, it's just been a good time, and we've been at it about uh, probably four or five months now. We're almost ready to wrap it up in the next few weeks. So keep that in mind if you want to this evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll be doing that. Also, let me remind you that tomorrow the church office will be closed for the holiday. I'm sure you understood that, but nonetheless, just make sure of it. Revelations chapter 3, 14 through 22. Now, if you've been around me much, and I know most of you have, you know that I am not a coffee drinker. I have tried to like coffee and tried to like, and I just cannot like it. I guess I'm just too sweet, so all I can figure out. But it just, I've never been a coffee drinker. I love the smell of coffee. In fact, two of the favorite foods that I like to smell of is macaroni and cheese and coffee. And I can't stand either one of them. It just, I don't know what it is. Now, let me justify that a little bit. Not too long ago, Miss Judy Bowen over here said, that I want you to come out the house. I'm going to make some homemade macaroni and cheese. That was as close as I'll ever come to liking macaroni and cheese. <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's just the texture of it. I'm not sure what it is, but... I've just never acquired the taste for coffee. I mean, I look at a bunch of guys, and I know for a fact they get that first thing they do when they get to church, get back there and get a cup of coffee. It just, it just doesn't do anything for me. But I love the smell of coffee. But I've just never acquired the taste for it. I don't mind a cup every now and then if I'm real desperate. I can stop and get a cup of coffee or whatever, but it's got to have a whole lot of sugar for me. And that's what makes me so sweet. But it's... I tell you what, it just it's just tough being around. That's all there is to it. It, uh, I just, again, just never have acquired the taste. In fact, this is a true story. Judy and I have been married almost 46 years in this coming January. And when we got married, we had somebody give us a coffee maker. I mean, brand new and still in the box. About 10 years ago, she opened it for the first time. Not to make coffee, though. She made some of these punch-type drinks at Christmas and so forth. And, now, we like that. that. That went good. It sat in our closet for some almost 40 years and never was opened. In fact, I think it's an antique now, so we can go back and do something with it. But... It, uh, she, again, made some kind of a seasoned drink. I wouldn't even know how to make a cup of coffee. Now, we've got a machine over there in our, our office, and it's one of those kinds, all you got to do is pick the deal in, pull the lid down, it, it begins to perk. 
Sometimes. It, sometimes it doesn't do that. And so we have coffee available for people, but I don't partake of it. It just, uh, I think the reason is, when I was growing up, now my mom and dad both drank coffee quite a bit, and I remember my dad saying, don't drink coffee. It makes you ugly. Now, from looking at some of you guys, I think he might have been right. I, I don't know. We won't go there. But I, now I've drank coffee a few times in my life, but I just, again, never acquired the taste. But one thing I do know about it, at least from all of you talking, is when you drink it, it has to be hot. Nobody seems to like a lukewarm coffee. I mean, I've, the few times I've tried it, it got cool. I just, oh, it's, it's horrible. But, of course, nowadays you don't even have to worry about that because you can buy iced coffee. I like that sometimes. And then it starts talk, tasting coffee, so I just I quit. But anyway, it, it has to be hot when you drink coffee. I mean, you, these, I've seen guys that work outside in the heat, and they'll have a cup of coffee in their hand. I want to say, does it dawn on you? It's hot out here. You don't need it. But they drink it for a different reason. When a person takes a sip of lukewarm coffee, the first thing they want to do, whether they do it or not, is spew it out of their mouth. Get rid of it. That just the, it just, it's, it's even worse than regular. In this passage we're fixing to read, I want to show you that Jesus feels the same way about some churches as we do about spewing coffee out of our mouth when it's lukewarm. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> and to the church of Laodiceans, write, is the amen, the faithful, the true, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. What's this next part? I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire... Uh, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that, thank you, sir, that, I've lost my place now, <laughs> uh, be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that they may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chastise, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Dear God, we thank you for this passage we've just read. And Lord, we know what this means to each one of us. But Lord, let us just see what you say about it. And how it applies to each one of our lives. And Lord, that we would not be lukewarm Christians. And make you sick to your stomach. That Lord, we would be the kind of Christians you need us to be. The kind of church members we need to be. And that Lord, we would be a church that is set on a hill, and we light the city around us. Lord, give us a desire to reach this community, to share with them everything that is of God. And, Lord, let us be a beacon inside this place. Go with us now for the next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
This is a passage you're probably well familiar with. It's been used many times before. But again, Jesus feels the same way about some Christians and some churches as some people do when they drink lukewarm coffee. He wants to spew them, he said. In fact, the word in the New, in the new uh, King James is vomit them out of his mouth. I know that's not a good word to use right here before you go to dinner in just a little while. But that's the word he chose to use, to spew it out like you're sick to your stomach. He wants to spew them out of his mouth. They're neither cold nor hot. Did you catch where he said, I wish you were cold or I wish you were hot? It doesn't matter. Just pick one. Quit trying to walk down the middle of the aisle. He says, I want you to be something for Christ. They make me sick. By the way, they do things by the way that they act. They, 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 he wants to spew them out of his mouth. Our text from, is from Christ's letter to the Laodicean church. Bible scholars tell us that the conditions which existed in this day are typical of what we have today, where people have just disregarded the church. Did you realize they took a survey not too long ago, and the majority of people said they have no use for the church of any branch, not just the Baptist church, but any branch, they have no use for it. This is in America. Our people nowadays are more against the church than they are for the church. I don't know what that's a reflection of, but I've got a feeling it's a reflection of us as a church. Because how is God's people not making an impact anymore? In the church, the people thought only of their rights and not of the rights of Jesus. They had become so successful, if you will, that they've turned off what got them there. And I think we're seeing that in the church today as a whole, not just ours. As a whole, we're seeing that take place. In the church, the people thought of their rights only. It, wasn't, it didn't matter what Jesus said or what God told us. They did what they wanted to do. And we find that a lot in our churches today. Now, maybe it's not the unanimous part, but we, we find that quite often. We do everything to please people in our churches. Did you know I learned a long time ago that I can't please every one of you? But guess what? God didn't call me here to please you. God called me here to preach the Bible. You let that fall where it may. I want to be friends with you. I want to like you. I want you to like me. But God didn't call us here to please you. He called us here that we may see what God wants us to do. And this passage is a prime example of it. Church members want preaching that pleases them. Well, don't step on our toes. We don't like this. I heard about a preacher that was every Sunday morning start to leave, and one of the men would walk up and say, Preacher, that was a warm sermon. Or the next week he may say, Preacher, you had some warm words for us today. Finally, this went on a few weeks. And the preacher said, finally he stopped and said, Let me ask you something. What do you mean by that comment? He said, Well, look it up. It means not so hot. That's how we do sometimes. <coughs> They don't want to have to give too much to the operation of the church. Did you realize that we as a church don't set 10% for the, of the tithes? That's right out of the Bible. God said 10%. In fact, he said that ought to be the minimum. That ought to be the minimum for us. God said that. 
I didn't say that. I may repeat it sometimes, but God says you need to give a tenth, period. Unequivocal. They don't feel special, so they find another church sometimes. Well, let's just move over here to this church. And we've seen people that hop from church to church. And, folks, if, if you've been one of those in the past, let me tell you something. You're not going to find a church that pleases you every way. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. You've got to come to a point where you are pleasing God, and then you'll see your life change for it. See what a difference it'll make. They want the whole program to be to please them. How much better off the churches would be if all of its members would try to please Christ instead? Now, we're not a large church by any stretch of the imagination. But can you imagine what this, would church, this church would be if every one of us would be totally sold out to serving God? In a month's time, there wouldn't be any open seats here. We wouldn't have room for people. Because all of a sudden, we'd have a burden to do what God wants us to do. Now, those, who are those that <clears throat> nauseate Jesus? It's not the infidels. It's not the atheists. It's not even the outrageous sinners. He's speaking here of the lukewarm, indifferent, neglectful people within our churches. Within our churches. He's talking to a church just like ours is. He said, well, you, we, we're not indifferent. We come to have a good time. We worship and so forth. Sure we do. But what about when we leave this place? That's when the work begins. Who impedes the progress of the church? It's not the infidels. It's not the outsiders. It's not the consecrated Christians. It's the lukewarm, indifferent church members. And every church has them. I've been, this is our fifth church to be at over the course of our ministry, and every church I've been had the same type of people. Maybe not many, but they're, they're always there. Much of the time is spent on trying to get this member to live for and serve Christ. We don't expect the infidel to serve Christ. If a person is consecrated Christian, we know he or she will be serving God. But if a Christian is lukewarm, he becomes a poor example and the church is hurt by his own life. Is a lukewarm Christian lost? No, not necessarily. If he's truly been saved, he's truly saved. I believe that with every ounce of my being. That You say, well, how does somebody come to church and they're not in line with God and they've got away? Exactly like many people all over the world. We've accepted Christ, but he's not the most important thing in our lives anymore. We become indifferent. We bring that indifference into the church. Oh, we'll teach a Sunday school. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll help around the building. All the different functions that go on. But don't ask me to go visit somebody across the street. Don't ask me to call a visitor that visited us last Sunday. Don't ask me to do certain things. I just I can't do that. Well, if you're a consecrated Christian, you could do it. Seriously. Is a lukewarm Christian lost? No. If he has believed on Christ, he has eternal life regardless of what he is. Nothing will ever separate him from the love of God. Christ has purchased him, and he belongs to the Savior. But a Christian can lose the joy of their salvation. Ever heard of a guy in the Old Testament named David? Go back and read uh, Psalms 51. 
where David cries out to God, Oh, God, I've lost the joy of my salvation. David never lost his salvation, but he lost the joy of it. And a lot of Christians today are living in that state. They've lost the joy. What's the joy? The joy of being a part of a church. The joy of singing a choir. The joy of singing music. The joy of being just being here and being a part of it. They've lost that joy. They haven't lost their salvation if they truly were a Christian. They haven't lost that. But a Christian can lose the joy of their salvation, his interest of Christian service. They can lose victory over sin, enjoyment of the Bible, and answer to his prayers. Here is the harm of of lukewarmness. You're an example for someone. You exhibit A for the Savior. When the outside world sees that you don't have something that's different from what their life is, then it has no impact on it. Your life doesn't impact them anymore. We lose our testimony, if you will. We lose the joy of our salvation. I don't believe you can lose. Once you've been saved, if you're truly saved, you can't lose your salvation. Jesus would have to be crucified all over again if that was possible. But you can lose the joy of it. And I'm afraid many church members today, of all churches, have lost the joy of their salvation. Just like David did. You could do sometimes less harm to the church if you would just stay out. You say, you don't want us to come to church anymore? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying with the attitude sometimes we come to church, we could do more harm than we could good. You could do less harm. I believe that today the greatest problem that we face as a church, now I'm speaking of all, not just ours, it's not drunkenness, it's not immorality, it's not profanity, it's lukewarmness. Listen to what Jesus said. Because you're neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Literally, that word means vomit. I'm going to make you sick to your stomach and get it out of you. That's what some Christian people do to God when they see their life, when he sees their life. Now, that's the introduction. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this subject. First of all, there's different kinds of lukewarmness toward sin. We have lukewarmness toward sin in America today in many ways. There was a day when we said that certain things were sinful. But today we just smile and look the other way and, oh, that's just the way kids are nowadays. That's just the way people are. That's the way men are. They're going to act like men. Boys will be boys who've heard all our life. But that's not what God says. Listen to what he says. God has not changed. It is still true that whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. It's still true that the wages of sin is death. It's still true that when sin is finished, it brings forth death. That's what God says, and that doesn't change. I ran across a verse the other day. In fact, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. This wasn't even on the schedule, but I'm going to put it in here anyway. I know I've read this verse before. I think I've just forgot about it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Listen to what is spoken here. When you make a vow to God, 
do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Wow. That's powerful. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. Oh, I'll be a Sunday school teacher. I'll help in that class. I'll do this. Well, I'm too busy. You know, I have a lot of things to do at home. I've got to go to all these other things. And I just don't have time for it. Be careful when you make a vow to God. He says, verse 4 and 5 of Ecclesiastes 4, Ecclesiastes 4, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure, it's not my word, in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Folks, that hits a whole lot of Baptists right between the eyes, including one standing right here many times. We need to be careful of this God that we serve. We may not take it serious, but he does. We have a lukewarmness today towards sin. We live in a time when we're not shocked anymore. Anything goes. Sin is respectable almost. We've brought him to the clo- into, from the closets into the living room nowadays. Adam hid, when, uh, hid, uh, Adam hid, Adam hid when he had sinned because he was ashamed of his nakedness, but he knew what he had done. But today, we don't care who sees it. We broadcast it on Facebook day after day after day. I was talking to a lady not too long ago, not at this church before we came here, and she had uh, addiction problems. I don't know if it's substance abuse or alcohol abuse. I'm not sure, but the family had asked me if I'd talk to her, and I did. She said that one of the lowest points of her was, for her was that one day she had, was at a place doing drugs. Now, this is her repeating this. And says she looked across the room, and there was one of the Baptist pastors of the town in the same meeting she was in. See, it's everywhere, folks. Just because you're a Sunday school teacher, you're not immune from it. Just because you're a deacon, you're not immune from it. It's everywhere. And if we're not careful, we can be in the same situation. I told a I got a Wednesday night crowd one day when we were over in Texas County. And our church was out, it wasn't outside of town, but it was at the far edge of town, out in the, the woods and so forth. And one day I was headed to town. And it's uh, down one of the main drags there. And it's, it's sort of a misty rain falling. And I saw this young lady that she was walking in the rain. And I thought, well, I'm going to be nice. So I pulled over and said, Do you need a ride? Because, I mean, it's, it's just a sprinkle, but it's raining pretty good. She got in the car and said, oh, yes, I'd appreciate it. We drove from here to the back of the building and said, well, to be honest with you, I'm working. I whipped that car. You need to get out right now. <laughs> I was looking for the deacons to pass by and see if they saw it, but it, it didn't. But, I mean, you've got to be careful, folks. It's everywhere. Now, we went on down the, I went on down the street a little bit later, and we had a guy in our church that so he was a police officer. In fact, he was... Lieutenant or one of the uh, deals. I pulled up the light, and I looked over the cop car next to me. He was sitting in the back seat behind the cage. Now, I got to think about that. I could have had some fun about that because I honestly saw him headed toward the police station. He was in the back of the car, 
he was in the cage, so he must have been arrested is the logical conclusion. But that would have been so far from the truth. But sometimes we see something and we want to make more out of it than what it is. Now, I've never picked up another one, believe me. So it's just, just for the record. But it's, <coughs> we have a lukewarmness against sin nowadays. Today, we don't care who sees. Pick up a newspaper in any city across this country, and you'll find stories of prostitution, drugs, deception, and many times, as you know, many of our local politicians, leaders, and yes, even church leaders get caught up in things. The second, second thing we see, we have a lukewarmness about Christian integrity. The average Christian intends to pay his debts. You know one of the things that bothered me, and this was years ago, I'd, uh, I don't know what it was, but I'd, I'd taken a job at a, a finance company. And I learned something about the finance company that I'd never known before. Do you realize, and this is honestly, and I don't think it's changed. This has been years ago. A pastor is considered a bad credit risk. I'm serious. Unless it's changed, and I don't think it has, a pastor is considered a bad credit risk in a financial loan company, whatever you call it. That just should not be. I'm sorry. That just should not be. I know sometimes people get behind, things happen, you get behind. I understand that. That's not what we're talking about. But we as Christians ought to have a head and shoulders above it and say, wait a minute, I'm going to do everything I can to pay my bills on time. It ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. But literally, and, and it may have changed again, like I say. I don't know, but I know that back at this day, and this is back in the probably the 70s, a pastor was considered, and I wasn't a pastor at the time, I was, uh, the pastor was considered a low credit risk, a bad credit risk. And I couldn't help but think about that. That should not be, period. I don't matter what it is. The average Christian intends to pay his debts, but some are just lukewarm about it. That's the ones that follow. They don't mean to be dishonest. They're simply indifferent. I still remember when I was ordained to the ministry, one of the men that was on the ordaining council that I was at, and here's what he asked me. He said, one of the main reasons preachers fail is failure to pay his debts. Now, that was before I found out what I just told you a minute ago. Did you realize, again, that ministers are considered bad credit risk? My sister-in-law, Judy, well, Judy's sister-in-law, my whatever she is, <laughs> live in Fort Worth. And she worked at a large bank in Fort Worth for a long time. And I remember mentioning that one time, and she said, oh, that's true. And she named this preacher, a large church in Fort Worth, and said he's always having to come in and get a refinance loan or whatever it may be to help it. And I thought, wait a minute, that's one of the biggest churches in Fort Worth. And this has been 30 years ago, too. So that should not be. I mean, where's our integrity anymore? A Christian should not be lukewarm about the dealings he has in life because that's how the world sees the Christian. A Christian should not be lukewarm about telling the truth either. Truth is truth, and a Christian should never water it down. I know a man who's a good church member. In fact, he went to one of the churches we were at up in the bottom Texas area. That man... I could tell him that I went out last night and shot three 12-point bucks. 
He said, I shot four of them last week. It didn't matter what you do. He would come up with a better story. I mean, it just used to frustrate me so much. Just I'd finally do something good and tell him about it, and he would, oh, yeah, I, I did better than that last week. But, you know, it wasn't too long before people began to figure him out. And his stories were never what he said they were. Folks, Christians should have integrity. We ought to have integrity in everything we do. I remember hearing my dad talk about years ago that you could walk into a bank and literally by a word of mouth get a loan. Boy, it would be nice to see that days, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, he said that he had you know, at younger years walked into the bank and said, I need a loan for $1,000. And because of his word, they'd give him the loan. We need people like that. We need people of integrity. The third thing we see real quick, we have a lukewarmness about obedience to Christ. Jesus is not only to be our Savior. He's to be the Lord of our lives. We're to learn from the Bible what He wants us to do and then do it. We like the learning from the Bible part. We just don't like that doing it part. Did you know that God tells us, in fact, Jesus left this explicit instruction. Every single one of us that call ourselves a Christian are to go out and share with other people. That doesn't mean some. That doesn't mean a couple. That doesn't mean a class gets together to do it. That means every one of us are supposed to go out. Look it up in the end of Matthew. You'll see what he says. We're to do it. We're not to be lukewarm about his commandments. We ought to say, this is what God says, and I'm going to obey it regardless. In the Old Testament, the prophet Ezra read, read to the people from Israel, uh, uh, people of Israel from the morning till noon with the Scriptures. They saw where they had violated God's commandment, and they wept and said, and I quote, We want to get our lives into line with the Word of God. We want to regulate our lives by His commandments. This is what we need to do today. Go to the Bible. See what God says about God's church. Then ask yourself, am I lined up with the church today? Can they count on me? If somebody is sick next week and can't show up to teach Sunday school, can they count on you to step in? You see, there's all kind of places. And we have needs of all kinds in this church. The Bible says we're to witness to others. Are you trying to live so others can see Jesus through you? Every church in America would have a wonderful revival if its members would check their lives with the Word of God and start doing it. Every church. Our churches would be crowded. Souls would be won. The gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth. And the world would know that there's a reality in the Christian faith. I hate to share with you, but you probably all know it anyway. Today, Christians are looked upon with scorn. We're looked upon as those crazy people out there. They believe in this Jesus. He rose from the dead, they say. Well, where's the evidence of it? It's in the lives of you and me, every one of us. We may not can prove it. But, oh, one of these days, God's going to prove it to them. But we're looked down upon in our world today. 
Some Christians are lukewarm about reading the Bible. They believe the Bible's the Word of God, but they just let it sit on the dining table. I remember hearing years ago, this preacher visited the church, visited the house and this family and so forth, and, and Mama was sitting there talking to him, and the little girl come in and says, Honey, go get the book that Mama loves to read so much. And she goes, brings her the Sears catalog. But that's what's important to us sometimes today. Today, Christians know more about Vogue magazine or Sports Illustrated than they do about the Bible. They know more about the Dallas Cowboys than they do the book of Luke. They know more about Tony Romo than they do about Paul. I'm a big football fan. But I know sometimes I used to, I had to watch the Cowboys. I mean, just when it was on, I had to be there. There was times when I literally would miss Sunday night service. Not when I was a preacher, but <laughs> didn't have to do that. But I would stay home just to finish the game. I mean, it was that important. But God changed my importance. We Baptists are called a people of the book. We believe the Bible. We study the Bible. We trust the Bible, right? Let me show you something from God's Word that I can almost assure you you'll never forget. Turn with me to the fifth chapter of Hezekiah, would you? Real quick, just turn to the fifth chapter of Hezekiah. Did you find it? There is no book of Hezekiah. But yet, we call ourselves the people of the book. See, do we really know the book of God? I know that was a trick question. But I was. That's how we are sometimes, folks. We want to be that, but we're not. We don't want to let people see what we really are. But God knows exactly what we are. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. A lady said to me one time, some years ago, I believe in prayer. And I thought, that's a nice thing to say. And then she turned around and says, if I ever get sick and the doctors fail, I'll send for you and you can pray for me. I'm serious. That actually happened. I may have changed the words a little bit because I don't remember the exact words she used, but that was it. If you believe in prayer, you don't need me. Your prayers are just as good as mine are. But we expect somebody to... And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, to, pray for each other. Don't misunderstand that. <clears throat> we wait until we get in an extreme situation before God, before giving God the opportunity to help us. While the Bible tells us, call upon the Lord and He will answer you. If you're a child of God, you can call upon God as easy as I can or anybody else in this room. He hears your prayers just as much as He does anybody else. Two young men were very active in a church. As the years passed by, they both drifted away from the church and from the Lord. One gave in to world's pleasure and the other took to drinking quite heavily. One day the drinking man went to the office of the other man. They talked about the good old days and their service together in the church. Finally, the drinking man said to the other one, God help us, John. We both lost the way to the throne of God. 
How many people follow that category? You see, you may not have gone into deep open sin yet, but what a tragedy if you lost the way to God. God's a patient God, but His patience does run out sometimes. May God help you to find, again, that secret place that was so important to you. It may have been a Sunday school room in this building. It may have been someplace else in your home where you got along with God and you had a conversation with God, just you and Him. The last thing we see is we have a lukewarmness about Christian service. Every church I know of today is crying out for faithful, dedicated Christian workers. I couldn't tell you a church. Big ones or small ones. Every one of them need more workers. Many of our people begin to work for the Lord, but they either quit or they become lukewarm about their service. Oh, that God would give us a group of workers with hot hearts. And I believe He has. I believe we're sitting right here today. All you need to do is listen to God. You may want to give up your Christian service, but Jesus never gave up on you. He went all the way to the cross just for you. I've said it a hundred times, and I'll continue saying, I believe if I'd have been the only person in the history of mankind that ever came to know Christ, he'd have paid the same price for me as he did for everybody else. He loved me that much. I don't know why. I'm not very lovable some days. (laughs) I should have known. (laughs) But God gave his life for me and you that we could know something different. We could know something else about it. Jesus stands in the church today as he did long ago. What does he say to you? Does he say that you're neither cold nor hot and you make him sick to his stomach? Is that what he says about us? I don't know. I can only look at my life and know that he's probably not too pleased many times. Are you lukewarm this morning? May God help us to live every day so that the world will know that there's something real about Christianity. It's not just something that we come to talk about and do. It's a life. And Jesus Christ is the center of that life. Revelation 3.15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. That's some pretty strong words coming from Jesus. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be a singer. But you do have to be faithful to the church and to God. That's what it's all about, folks. It's not about us coming, having good times, and having eaten meetings. And Oh, those are nice. We enjoy them. It's about who we're here to serve. Are you serving today? Are you cold or hot? Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. We come to the close of the service. We just ask that your spirit would just so fill this place right now. Lord, maybe there's somebody you've spoken to this morning. And, Lord, they fall into this category. That, Lord, they've just allowed their service to dwindle away and they're just not doing anything for you anymore. All oh, they show up occasionally. But, Lord, that's not what it's about. 
This is a 24-7, 365 days a year that we're called to do. Lord, let us take it real and see what it's real about. Go with us over this next few moments. This invitation is your invitation. It's not ours. We're not asking anybody to join the church. We're not asking anything of anybody. If they want to join the church, our doors are open. But, Lord, we're just asking that you would draw us closer to you as a church body, as individuals, as families, whatever it is. Lord, this is your invitation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.